Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of the year where the tournament is finally upon us. College basketball takes center stage. BetOnline is the number one spot for bets, odds, information, and the 2022 college basketball bracket contest. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get started today. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 21st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. It's Monday. Monday is usually Memes of the Weekend podcast, but we don't have a Memes of the Weekend podcast this week. We have a great show with our friend Walter Mitchell. We are hitting you with a special Monday Walter Mitchell Power Hour here on the Take It Easy podcast. One, because Walter is incredible at breaking down the NFL, not just here, but over on Revenge of the Birds and the Red Rain podcast, which of course I co-host and produce with Walter. You can check that out as well. Please support that podcast, by the way. It feels really, really good every time we get support on that podcast. Because I know Walter puts in a lot of work there, and I enjoy doing the job there. So it's always fantastic to check that out. So not just because Walter's fantastic there, but also it's very late where I am. I just want to record an A block and go to sleep. But it may be early in the day where you are, so that changes the math a little bit there. I spent the day, so you know, taking behind the scenes a little bit, I spent the day in San Diego, where I am, of course, from and where we support our San Diego Padres here on this podcast. Shout out to the 619 all the way through and through. Always love the place you come from or you will be miserable for the rest of your life. I believe Ice Cube was the one who said that. But love the 619. I'm back home. And I decided to go to March Madness Games. March Madness Games that, by the way, couldn't even sell out for a big round of 32 game, which I found to be kind of funny. Uh, Getting $20 tickets for a round of 32 games was kind of incredible. But anyways, so I was at San Diego, and the two games I got to see this weekend were Notre Dame-Texas Tech, which, you know, moderately fascinating. It it was one of the storylines you can talk about. Texas Tech is going to play Duke now. And that could have been Coach K's last game today, but Duke pulled through against Michigan State. You know, it it was one of the storylines around that. And sure, it was interesting there. And then at the end, we got TCU Arizona. And TCU Arizona has become one of the games 
of the tournament so far. Uh, St. Peter's and Kentucky. I was brainstorming this on the way back. St. Peter's, Kentucky, Baylor, North Carolina from Saturday was kind of ridiculous when you talk about 25-point deficit, overcoming a 25-point deficit in 10 minutes, which happens pretty often in the NBA now. Like As NBA teams become much more efficient with three-point shooting, you see 25-point deficits disappear faster in the NBA now. Doesn't happen as often in college. Usually takes a better team getting down by 25, which is incredibly difficult in the first place, to then storm back from 25 down in 10 minutes. Baylor did that, and Baylor got to overtime before they ended up losing that game that they charged all the way back in, which was kind of weird and fascinating. But Arizona TCU had everything for me. Because you know how we sometimes get weirdly irrational with certain teams and we invest emotionally in weird college teams like last year we did it with Oral Roberts and we did it with the weird Eastern Washington team that had two brothers that were just giant one was a giant six foot nine white guy with a lumberjack's beard and hair up and down his arms and his brother was like six foot one scrawny point guard. It was a really weird combination. Like we invest in weird emotional teams every year. This year was Rutgers, the anarchist Rutgers team. And this year for me, I picked TCU in one of my brackets, not the one that we shared on last Monday's podcast, which you should still check out and see how right or wrong we were about our March Madness picks. But TCU was a team that I invested in emotionally because in my bracket where you're not playing for anything like the official bracket where you like making risky picks because here's the thing about filling out a bracket if you're betting a bracket for money and you want to make the most money possible like if you don't care about the money that you're making okay whatever you win or lose money whatever if you're trying to bet for money pick every single winner to win and then be very particular about who you pick to make it to the end because the the team that wins the championship usually will be the team that wins your bracket pool you want to pick the best chance of getting a top team deep in the tournament. You should pick every one seed to make it to the Sweet 16, and in some cases, even the Elite Eight. Even if you don't believe it's going to be, even if you don't believe in those teams, you should pick every single one seed to make the Elite Eight. I know it's boring, but statistically, it's your best chance of winning your bracket pool if we just assume that whoever wins is going to be uh, the person. Whoever wins is the person who gets the champion right because it's incredibly... The, the bracket picking pool is incredibly swayed towards picking winners at the end. You could get every single pick correct in the first round of the tournament. And if you don't pick the champion correct, you will get the same amount of points as a person who does pick the champion correct. It's a really messed up system. So if, you, if it's incentivized that way, you need to make sure you pick the champion right. Best way to pick the champion is to pick ones and two seeds to make it deep into the tournament. It's a really messed up way. It's boring, but it's the way you win your money. In the bracket that I did that was like, yeah, let's just throw some fun upsets at the board and see what sticks. Let's pick Michigan State over Duke. Let's pick Virginia Tech to make it to the Sweet 16. Let's pick St. Peter's to beat Kentucky. I didn't actually pick that one, but 1.6% of brackets did. A lot of joke brackets, but 1.6% of brackets did pick St. Peter's to beat Kentucky. I assume very few had St. Peter's beating Murray State. By the way, Murray State, just an L to you, man. Just a straight L to Murray State. Like You you lost two games the entire season. You beat San Francisco. You ran through the Ohio Valley Tournament. You got smacked by St. Peter's, man. Come on. 
that was it. It sucks to be the team who's forever the legend of, hey, the 15 seed beat the two seed or the 16 beat the one. Who's the second sucker who lost to that same 15 seed? Because last year it was Florida. Florida lost to Oral Roberts. It was my beloved San Diego State Aztecs when Florida Gulf Coast Dunk City was the first 15 seed to make the Sweet 16. This year it gets to be Murray State. Like, Murray State, you had the clearest path to the Sweet 16 you have ever had, and you still blew it to St. Peter's. Anyways, getting sidetracked there. I picked TCU to win. I bet on TCU to win afterwards. Is that what gambling feels like? Because I don't ever really gamble. We always do entertainment porpoises on this podcast. But for some reason, being in a crowd full of Arizona fans and picking TCU to win in my bracket, which feels a little bit like gambling, made me ridiculously emotionally invest in TCU. And had TCU pulled out the victory, I would have came on this podcast, phrasing, I would have joined you on this podcast on this Monday where I'm very tired and I'd like to go to sleep. I would have come here and I would have gloated and reveled in the success of TCU and talked about Jamie Dixon and number four for TCU who just dominated top lottery picks and the number two team in the country in Arizona. But they didn't win. And I, because we had never talked about the lore of TCU before, except for when our friend Razor Rosenthal literally said that TCU might not be a tournament team, and then they immediately proceeded to beat Kansas the night that we recorded the podcast. So by the time you heard the podcast, it sounded incredibly dumb two weeks ago to say TCU wasn't going to be a tournament team. Other than that, we didn't really have the deep lore of TCU on this podcast, and we didn't talk as much college basketball this year as last year, because we just didn't have the time, but the point still stands. TCU, I love you. You gave everything you had, and you also delivered one of the most insane finishes to a game ever, because I've never seen a tie game where a team turns the ball over, and the other team has a dunk to win the game but the clock runs out before they can get the dunk off. Like, I've never seen an end to a game like that Arizona TCU game ended in regulation where they had to go to overtime. If you didn't watch it, I encourage you to to Google what I'm talking about here because Arizona was tied 75-75, and TCU had the ball with like 10 seconds left, and they trapped him, and they got a steal, And a fast break that was basically two on zero with three seconds left. And the Arizona player went for the dunk. And he couldn't dunk the ball before the clock hit zero. Like they would have won the game. The crowd erupted in in San Diego where I was because it was a tie game. And basically the way that it, uh, it, you know, they thought Arizona had won. And immediately the ref signaled, no, it didn't get off, didn't get off. And pretty clearly it didn't get off. Like he was like a half second late. It wasn't like one of those, like trying to do the card measurement on the first down in football or like trying to find exact measurement. It was pretty clearly like not off. I've never seen an end to a game like how that game ended. And if TCU had won, it would be probably more of an all-timer. But now the play kind of gets lost to history a little bit because Arizona wins. I mean, I won't forget it because I was at the game. It's one of those few moments that are like, wow, what a legendary remember that moment. Like Jalen Suggs' game winner that was the shot of the year last year that I happened to be at at the Final Four. But anyways, this was a pretty good moment as well. And maybe the game of the tournament? I think Baylor, North Carolina would like to have a word. I think St. Peter's, Kentucky would like to have a word. 
but one of the three best games of the tournament, TCU Arizona. And uh, I was gonna come here. Let's do the uh, the two minutes of praising TCU after we made jokes about them hiring Sonny Dykes from SMU who lost by 28 points to Cincinnati, a Cincinnati team that's now joining the Big 12, who will then continue to beat TCU by 28 points because TCU has decided now that they're in the Big 12, we just don't give a shit about being good at football. And yeah, our football coach for 20 years was pretty damn good, but he also said some really racist stuff and may or may not have said the N-word of many times to players or about other players. And yeah, we kind of fired him after 20 years. And he didn't get to have the ending he wanted after he transitioned through three different conferences and went to a Rose Bowl with Andy Dalton. But you know what? TCU, fight on, TCU. You are, fight on, I think, is the Trojans. I'm doing all the hand signals here. It's a better visual joke, but TCU is two fingers, middle and index finger, curved to look like a horn. Hashtag let's get horny. TCU curves their thing like that, but if you do it straight, it's USC, but if you stick them out like that, it's something else, and then if you do three fingers, it's Arizona State. All the hand gestures are very confusing. Speaking of hand gestures, the U is back, baby. The U is back, baby. I picked them to go to the round of 32, and damn it if I didn't have the cojones to pick them to beat Auburn, because I didn't believe in Auburn in the first place. Damn if I didn't have the cojones to pick the U to win in this round of 32, they kicked ass against Auburn. Shout out to the U. But anyways, TCU was a team that I fell in love with, and they didn't win. And now I get to express my love for TCU here on this wonderful podcast. And now we lead into our friend Walter Mitchell joining us here. We'll also talk to Razor Rosenthal on Wednesday about anything and everything that happened over the weekend in college basketball. So trust me, it won't just be me fawning over TCU or laughing at Murray State, although I would like to laugh at Murray State some more, or talking about the U being back. Trust me, there will be more college basketball analysis coming later in the week. But for now, let's chat with our friend Walter Mitchell of SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds here on the Take It Easy podcast. Okay. Yeah, so is there anything you wanted to start off with? Well, I just wrote a, an article and posted it on Revenge of the Birds about uh, the utter greed and decadence in the NFL. Um, it's just stooped to a new egregious low, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's just such a a transparent game now because, you know, you start with the Aaron Donald, uh, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers saga that we spent two years, you know, in the, had headlines in the news of how unhappy he was and then suddenly happy. And then, you know, he loves his teammates and, you know, but facing a rebuild would be tough for him. So he's pondering, escaping, getting traded to another team where he'd have a better chance perhaps. And, you know, all that. And the culmination of all that led to a $50 million a year contract that was, you know, too good to turn down, which is tremendously ironic on a couple of levels. One is that for a team that's facing a rebuild, you know, that's been up against the cap, 
to now take fifty dollars, fifty million, is is counterintuitive. I mean, you'd think you'd want to help the team out some, and then secondly, being jilted and left at the altar by his supposed go-to guy in Devonte Adams. That was stunning. That Adams just worked his way out of there in a New York minute and got traded to the to the Raiders um, to reunite with his college quarterback Derek Carr. That was just so. I mean, so now Rodgers is yeah, he's fifty million a year, baby, but mm-hmm. no Adams and you know at uh, this moment no Tunyon. Also, Tunyon could always come back, but. You know, they have they have nobody right now. That's the part that I figured out there is that they have money, but they have a unique chance to basically build a wide receiver core from scratch because they've got nobody on their team right now. Right. But they have draft picks, so. Mm-hmm. And, and cap space now. For the first time, they have cap space. Yeah, they have a little bit, right? Yeah, so they so the Adams trade set them up with twenty nine million, and then they're going to sign Rasul Douglas to a contract. So it's twenty nine million minus whatever Rasul Douglas gets. Okay. Yep. Well, <laughs> we'll see what happens there. <laughs> I mean, that one was fascinating on multiple reasons. Which I talked about the Devonte Adams move on Friday about just how it's fascinating from the Packers standpoint and. When I say Packers, I mean Gudekunst and Lafleur and whatever power Aaron Rodgers has in roster-making decisions. Right. Um, just because usually when teams – I mean, we were all prepared for them to be the Jordan Love, throw it to Ari <laughs> Rodgers, you know, seven-win Packers. And now just because you have Aaron Rodgers, you're still a contender, especially in the NFC that's going to be much weaker than the AFC this year. and. There's going to be barely five good teams in the NFC. And this is a unique situation because they are an immediate contender no matter who you bring in, and they have to rebuild a wide receiving core. Unless Alan Lazard is going to be the number one. But, you know, more likely than not, they're going to bring in two or three more receivers. And so Aaron Rodgers has a chance to, I guess – build it but also i still don't know how much power he has in the organization like i don't know how much they negotiated power into his 50 million dollar contract or if he's even going to have a say in who they bring in i thought um what's his name juju smith schuster was going to end up in green bay i think he signed with the chiefs yesterday yeah so i'm looking around and thinking there's not a whole lot left for them to do in free agency but also they have over the next two seasons now six draft picks in the first two rounds. So they can, they can make some magic happen if they want to swing a trade with someone. Although I don't, I don't think any wide receivers are like pressingly available. So I guess they are, uh, I guess they are in a really unique position in that way where they're in, in the, the sphere of a retooling team or a rebuilding team. And also, they can win a championship next year. It's a really weird place to be in. Well, they play in the weakest division or one of the weakest divisions in the NFL. I was going to say the uh, the AFC South still exists, so I think uh, I think they're they're okay there still. <laughs> yeah, although the AFC South is gaining some ground, um, especially if 
Baker Mayfield goes to the Colts. Um, oh, that, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot yeah. Baker's available now. Yeah, and he wants to go to the Colts. And, um, yeah, that looks like a nifty fit for both teams. The Seahawks are are making overtures to uh, trade for Mayfield as well. But, uh, you know, so if, if the Colts get Mayfield and then, of course, the Titans are always going to be strong. Um because of their defense and their running game. And then the Jaguars uh, making splashes uh, and Trevor Lawrence in his second year. I don't know if it's, it's too soon to expect them to win or be in contention yet, but I think they'll be, be uh, much improved. That defense in Jacksonville is going to be um, a handful for anyone. Um, they play fast and, uh, and free. Um, and then, you know, they've got – they now feathered their nest for Lawrence with receivers and running backs and tight ends. And, you know, so they're, they're a, a team that's going to improve, I would imagine. And then of course uh, the Texans, um, they really like Davis. Um, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, Mills, excuse me. Uh, as their quarterback, they've already said they're going to build around him. And I think there's good reason to believe. Uh, someone said yesterday on ESPN Live, I think it was, uh, that had Davis Mills stayed in the draft one more year and been available this year, he might have been the first quarterback off the board. Um, and I think there's there's merit to that. Uh, Mills has really played well down the stretch. And I think the Texans have made some savvy moves um, personnel-wise. But, yeah, I, I. but going back to the NFC North, I mean, the Bears have got a, you know, new coach. Um, <clears throat> the Lions will be improved for sure. Um, they might even be challenging the Vikings for second place. Um but, you know, the Vikings have a new coaching staff. Anytime you have new coaching staffs, it's, it's, it's unlikely that they're going to be able to win right away. Um, putting in new systems and stuff like that and having, like in, in the Bears case, having Justin Fields, a young quarterback. Um, and then, yeah, unless you're inheriting a really talented roster like Stefanski did with the Browns or LeFleur did with the Packers, if – if you're inheriting a really talented team and you're a new coach, you can win automatically, but more likely than not, most of the new coaches this year, other than maybe the Raiders, most of the new coaches were inheriting pretty bad situations. Yeah. Not that yeah. the Vikings yeah. were terrible, but the Vikings are, you know, yeah. the Vikings. <laughs> well, and one of the big equalizers, I think, for the, in the NFC is that uh, the strongest division, the NFC West, plays the AFC West this year so that's gonna bring that's gonna be with the afc afc west games and the six nfc west games that each nfc west team's gonna need to play i mean that's 10 games right there that are gonna be um very challenging to win and um so that may bring the nfc west teams now you know closer uh, or bring them down towards the middle of the pack to in terms of playoff um 
you know, seeds or, or births, you know, um, that's going to be a challenging thing for, for, for you know, it, it, so often it depends on which division you're playing in the opposite conference and, and what your, you know, non-division games look like. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that's going to be interesting. I mean, the NFC East is still, you know, kind of a, it's the Cowboys and maybe the Eagles will start pushing (laughs) yeah we're we're all gonna be brutally unhappy when washington makes the playoffs next year as a seven seed and we have to watch them play green bay or the rams or arizona in the first round (laughs) well we're all gonna be super unhappy with that (laughs) i know it's it's new sponsor alert people It's the good people over at Athletic Greens supporting this podcast. You can get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens with one scoop a day of Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has a special blend of ingredients that support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, boost your energy, as well as improving recovery times. You can reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. One scoop in a cup of water, and that's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at athleticgreens.com slash BLEAV. By the way, the link to that is in the description to this episode. Go to athleticgreens.com slash BLEAV and use our promo code at checkout. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And then how this charade um, and debacle impacted Matt Ryan. That is so disgraceful, too. I can't believe Arthur Blank. Man. Unbelievable that he would entertain that. And yeah. suddenly, you know, in a New York minute, put Matt Ryan up for trade talks. Oh, is Matt Ryan available for trade talks right now? He was when they thought they were getting uh, Watson. Okay. Put him out there. So Perhaps. my guess there was that... Um... So I think Matt Ryan has like a $48 million cap hit for next year. Yeah. And well, he has a roster bonus due. And then mm-hmm. he agreed to um, give the club four more days before they have to decide on it. So if they had done, I mean, I don't want to do the football transactional stuff, but if they had gotten Watson, Matt Ryan would have had to have been traded to the Texans in that situation. And the Texans probably trade him later and eat a bunch of his money. No, and, I, I don't think the Texans wanted him. I think they were trying to pull a trade with the Colts or Seattle or, or, or uh, Carolina. Oh, so it would have essentially been like a three-team type of trade to move Matt Ryan. Because I know they couldn't keep both of them. Like, they would have had to have traded Ryan either before or at the same time as Watson. Because they right. couldn't have both of them on the roster at the same time. So they they would have done it if they had gotten the upgrade. 
And now that they haven't, they're still rolling out with Matt Ryan, which is, again, like it sucks for Matt Ryan only because Matt Ryan has been the good soldier. Like he's been the good face of the corporation for the longest time, which sometimes I I don't like that type of situation. Like I don't like when Russell Wilson does it because he seems disingenuous. But Matt Ryan at least seemed like a good dude. Like Matt Ryan at least seemed moderately genuine when it came to the the being the face of the Falcons and Absolutely. loving the Atlanta community. At least he seemed genuine with it. So that part, I just it's it's difficult in that way. But also, I mean, he probably should have been traded last year. But Matt Ryan, you and I have also. talked about him quite a bit. I mean, Matt Ryan last year he came within 62, 38 yards of his 12th straight 4,000-yard passing season, which no quarterback in the NFL has has accomplished. He took the lowly Falcons to their second Super Bowl ever and came within a whisker of winning it. And uh, another NFC championship, too. I think they lost to one of those Harbaugh teams in the NFC championship. Yeah. I mean, Matt Ryan has been a consummate pro and is a consummate pro. Anybody who mm-hmm. gets him, um, you know, probably now he stays with the Falcons. But, yeah, he's 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 mature enough to handle this, I think, emotionally. I don't think he's going to get bent out of shape. I think it will. I think he probably realizes he's in his last year at Atlanta anyway. Um, mm-hmm. It's than, much easier for them to move off of his contract after next year than it is this year. Yeah, they would. They would need someone to absorb a lot of the money to move him this year. Is he extended beyond this year? He is. So he's oh. under contract for two or three more years. It's just that I think right now. The dead cap hit is like forty-one million to move him, yeah. and um, you know it could be like a Carson Wentz trade where the team he gets traded to is willing to take on all forty-five million if the Falcons throw in extra picks or something. Um, but it's essentially, I think, forty forty-one million this year, and then I think like fifteen million next year. So it's like much easier to cut him or trade him next year than it is this year. I think is kind of the explanation I got for it is like they he's under contract for a few more years because he signed that deal after the um, the after the Super Bowl so it was a six year contract after the Super Bowl so it's one two three four that would mean he has two years left on his contract I okay. think I think he'd have two years left but they can move off of him next year I I should have the numbers in front of me it would make it they should just to- keep him. And then, you That's know, I mean, said. I, I, cause right now, I mean, who are you going to get to play? I mean, it's, um, well, I would have argued last year they had the number and they could have gone correct. ahead and That's when, gone there. That's when you make but, that call. Exactly. Yes. And actually, so I was talking about this the other day when we did our 30 minutes of Falcons talk was, um, Last year, I, 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 the new GM, I think his name is Terry Fontaine or something like that, but he was with the Saints before. Um, the new GM and the new coach were given the opportunity from Arthur Blank. He said, I won't make you keep Matt Ryan. Like, you have total control over the roster. If you think the best course of action is to get rid of Matt Ryan, I won't stop you from getting rid of Matt Ryan. 
And they decided last year, no, we want to keep playing with Matt Ryan. Like we will, yeah. we will keep playing with Matt Ryan at quarterback. Now I think that was the wrong decision, but it's, it hasn't turned out to be terrible yet. It's just that the Falcons quietly have one of the worst rosters in the NFL. And that's not to the fault of Matt Ryan. He's just playing behind a terrible team right now. And he's still playing. Okay. Like he's, I've joked he's the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan at this point, but he, and also he's like one, he's one bad hit away from becoming Ben Roethlisberger. But at the same time, I, I do think Matt Ryan is still serviceable. I just don't know how sustainable it is because they're not going to be able to build a winning team around Matt Ryan within the next three years. And that probably means Arthur Smith gets fired, which, you know, tough break for Arthur Smith. He did choose to keep Matt Ryan there. They just can't, build anything else sustainable around Matt Ryan. And uh, I ask you right now, can you name the top three receivers on the Atlanta Falcons next season? If Kyle Pitts is a tight end, do you know who the top three receivers on the tight on the Falcons next year are? No. Number one is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is their number one receiver right now. Number two is Tajay Sharp. And number three is undrafted second year Christian Blake for the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. Yeah. They, yep. the, and Cordero Patterson's currently unsigned as well. So like, it's just an impossible situation for Matt Ryan to win in, but that's what the rebuild looks like. It's the decisions of the past coming back to haunt the Falcons a little bit. Yeah, well, they can make some good signings. I mean, they really got screwed in the Calvin Ridley thing. I mean, mm-hmm. in retrospect, I was hoping to see uh, Julio Jones and Pitts on the same field. Um, remember, you and I talked about that back when they drafted Pitts. I mean, I was like, whoa. I mean, I, said, I even said Ryan could maybe push towards 5,000 yards if he had Julio Jones with Pitts and then Ridley and then Gage, I mean, who now is gone to the... Who's now in Tampa, Bucks. just a plethora of riches in Tampa. That's, I, think, I, think, I think Tampa now has eight receivers who are better than the Falcons' best receiver. Well, and I now Tom Brady's recruiting Jones. Julio. <laughs> no way. Oh, no. I yep. See, I, I was joking about that. I'm like, just have Julio go back to Atlanta. Let him and Matt Ryan just rot together. Like, uh, they're like the, the scene where you're like on a, on a rocking chair on the porch. Just let them both go into retirement together. Ten yard completions at a time. No touchdowns. No touchdowns, of course. But, you know, a thousand yards and two touchdowns on a season at a time. They should both go into retirement together in Atlanta. So, um, I have his contract details here too. So this year he'll make 48 million, which I think could be restructured to 41. If he, that would be a middle finger to the Falcons. If they don't, if they're like, can we restructure your deal? And he says, no, you tried to trade me. That would be funny if he did that, I, but he'll probably restructure his deal for 41 million. And then next year he makes $43 million. But if they move him before, I think it's like March 15th, 2023. It's only a $15 million cap hit. Can basically do what the the Colts did with Carson Wentz, if they so choose, which is, you know, you save $25 million if you move them before the start of next year. Yeah. 
Well, and then after that, yep, I think it'd be good for them to hold on to him and use the draft. The draft's loaded with wide receivers this year, and yeah, yeah, uh, reload. And uh, you know, that division is more winnable now than ever. Um, once you get past the Bucks with Brady, I mean, the Saints are have that great defense, but they're they have their and the Panthers have their quarterback problems. So I mean, Matt Ryan is the second best quarterback in the division, and if you can put some pieces around him, um, and Pitts is a keynote, you know, go-to guy. In his second year, he's going to be even better. Um, you know, wow, look at what uh, look what you could do with that. And they're they're getting faster on defense, the Falcons and. You know, they've got they've made a couple good signings there. Uh, so, you know, I mean, they're and they've got, I think, a really bright head coach um, in Arthur Smith, um, who's a offensive savant. And um, he can get a lot out of Matt Ryan, <clears throat> particularly in year two. So, you know, who knows? Maybe now they're. They think they ought to just do the whole rebuild and trade Matt Ryan. I mean, imagine that that uh, the Colts, if they don't make a move on Mayfield, could be interested in Matt Ryan. I think he'd be a great fit there, boy. What happened to Jimmy G? Like, I thought everyone was trying to get Jimmy G, and now he's just going to sit for the 49ers for a year. I'm so confused by what's happening there. Well, I it's thought... the shoulder surgery he just had. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that he's still – I'm not sure that people want to pay the price of the trade. I think they'd rather wait till Jimmy G gets released um, rather than have to pony up major draft picks for him. <clears throat> um, so – and with other quarterbacks available like Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, and – um, maybe even Matt Ryan now. I don't know if, if what's going to happen with that, but I just would imagine they'd want to keep Ryan. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there's going to have to be some kind of making up to do there. I think, like I said, I think Matt Ryan's mature enough uh, to handle this emotionally, but at the same time, it could be pretty unnerving that, you know, you're the franchise quarterback, and suddenly, you know, they're bringing in a, a guy like Deshaun Watson and putting your name out there in the trade, you know, market. So uh, that's a pretty abrupt uh, thing to happen. And, but I think he can handle that, and I think they can too. And Arthur Blank can make his, his, uh, you know, atonements and, uh, you know, smooth things over. Uh, I would but, say to that, if if Matt Ryan wants to be in Atlanta, then Matt Ryan will swallow his pride and he'll be okay in the long run. My point would just be, why do you want to stay in Atlanta? <laughs> that would be my only yeah. question there. Well, I don't know. He's a loyal guy, Matt Ryan. That's 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 the thing about him. He he's bought in through all the coaching changes and you know he's 
he's been the steady guy there and uh you know he's rolled with the punches and um even as they're clearly not loyal to you he'll still be loyal to them through and through looks like that might be matt ryan's thing yep yeah um so it's the carousel has been spinning faster than usual um it has been wild and woolly and, uh, you know, in some cases pretty exciting or startling and surprising. But, uh, but I just thought the whole Watson thing, the way that went down was, was um, a real bad look all the way around for the NFL, um, for the Cleveland Browns. And I, I have to admire Houston. I know that they've come under all kinds of scrutiny in recent years, um, but I think there are adults in the room there uh, who have, uh, you know, they could have welcomed Watson back. He's on their payroll, and um, and they thought for the best of the community and for the team. And I also admire them for for uh, making the commitment to Davis Mills. Um, and giving him a clear shot at the, at, you know, at becoming their quarterback of the future. He showed some very positive signs down the stretch last year. He's got a lot of talent and, um, big, strong kid who can throw the ball. He can, he can throw it. He can spin it. Um, they're just going to keep adding. I mean, now they have all these draft pieces, uh, they're just going to keep adding talent. I think it's it, it kind of goes back to the Rams days when they were, you know, bottom of the barrel and having draft picks where they could pick up Aaron Donald and, you know, Cooper Cup and guys like that. So um, I think the future is bright in, in, in Houston um, because of this, and I, I applaud them for the way they've handled it. They didn't succumb and play uh, – play Watson in the games last year when they were fully entitled to. That may have cost David Culley his job. That I go back to and with real feelings of uh, regret. Um, I, that was very unfortunate. I don't, you know, I shouldn't praise the Texans too much because that situation was not handled well. No, the Houston Texans are still the worst. The Texans still have a team pastor running their football team. They, they have a team pastor running their billion dollar organization and they are <laughs> the joke I made is that they're, it's like the scene in Moneyball. I don't know if you've seen Moneyball, um, but it's like, there are, there are mediocre teams. They're below average teams. They're tanking teams. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's the Houston Texans. Now the Houston Texans have finally gotten back to just tanking because at least they get their draft picks for all of the losing over the past two seasons. So now they get to start a rebuild the same way the Jaguars did when they traded Ramsey, same way the Jets did when they traded uh, Jamal Adams, the Giants did when they traded Odell Beckham, and then Dave Gettleman wasted every single draft pick post-Odell Beckham. Uh, same idea there is where the Texans are right now is you're going to rebuild. You're going to have the three pick this year. You're probably going to have the one pick next year or two pick next year, some top five pick next year. Uh, so... 
now you get your chance to rebuild your team and you have a bunch of cap space next year. So welcome to year three of the five-year rebuild for the Houston Texans. Congratulations to you all. Yeah, well, it's got to start somewhere. And I think that uh, they've done some admirable things. I wish it would have been with David Culley. Like that all kind of surprised me too. I mean, you could still have Cully as head coach and, you know, Lovey Smith was the defensive coordinator. I mean, you still have that staff. That staff yeah, was this pretty, is good, where, yeah. pretty good, you know. And, this is where they tried to hire Josh McCown, and the NFL said you cannot hire Josh McCown because Josh and, McCown is not qualified to run an NFL team. That's super interesting also, is that the NFL – it's not super well reported, so I'm not going to say like this is 100% factual. It seems kind of clear the NFL asked them to sit Deshaun Watson and they abided because they didn't put him on the exempt list. And so they, the NFL told them to not play Watson and just pay him. And the NFL t- kind of told them they can't hire Josh McCown. So it feels like the NFL is like stopping the Texans from doing dumb stuff. But even still, they do look like they're being moderately well run. And I'm reluctant to say that because I don't like the people running the Texans, but they do look like they're being moderately well run. And for the terrible situation they found themselves in two years ago uh, by, again, funding three different NFL franchises, most successful runs of the past 15 years. They're now Miami because they gave them all those draft picks for Tunsil. The Cardinals, because they gave them Hopkins and Watt for free. And now the Browns, because they gave them a franchise quarterback for the next 15 years. Like the For all of the missteps that Houston has made, they are slowly but steadily tearing themselves out of the hole. Yeah, well. Even though, even though like you said, they've now hired three different shadow black coaches. In the NFL, where we're complaining there's not a, there is not racial equality in coaching hirings, <laughs> The Texans have hired half of the black head coaches in the last three years or in the last four years because they gave yeah. Romeo Cornell the, the interim job. They fired David Culley. They hired Lovey Smith and they're going to fire Lovey Smith at the end of next season and maybe hire Josh McCown. But they're, they fired Lovey Smith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the they're going to fire Lovey Smith there. They're going to do to Lovey Smith what they did to David Culley. And for all of the success of the Texans, they've also been the franchise that is just, we're just going to hire black head coaches and immediately fire them after a season and not give them a real chance to actually be head coaches. So yeah. you are, you are correct. The Texans for being run by a team pastor look like they're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, hope they do. Uh, you know, I, I applaud them for the way they've handled the Watson situation, put it that way. So we'll see. But, uh, yep, it's been wild and woolly and um, uh, kind of slowed down now. I don't – I think everyone, the GMs are just waiting for price tags to get re- reasonable again. <laughs> I mean, I, some of the just bizarre contracts happens every year. It makes you nervous because it just, you know, when when some individual guys get their bag, you know, but that it sets such a precedent, um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a can set a precedent, like the the Christian Kirk contract. I mean, Christian Kirk, I mean, he had a good year. 
Um, but I mean, 18 million a year for Christian Kirk. I mean, <laughs> could be as high as 21 million with incentives. <laughs> right. I mean, whoa. I mean, that just sort of, you know, now everyone receivers can just say, well, look at what Christian Kirk's getting. So if I mean, their agents gives... are smart. That's what they'll do. If, right. If their it's... agents are smart, that's exactly what they'll do. The Jaguars were the team that gets everyone paid and everyone in the league is pissed. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Jacksonville? Why would you, why would you pay? I mean, you can't collude, of course, like it's illegal to collude, but they're just like, seriously, Jacksonville. I thought it was like a, a wink, wink, nod, nod situation that we weren't going to overpay people like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this whole salary cap is, and I, here's an argument I made today too, in the article is that first of all, it's turned into a joke. Um, you know, the, uh, on February 28th, the New Orleans Saints, who were all in on Drew Brees and missed out and now backed up, you know, um, against the cap. And the New Orleans Saints were 43 million on February 28th. That's not too far ago, right? Two and a half weeks ago. Two and they and were $43 million over the cap. And suddenly, with the Watson trade, they're now like 29 million under. I mean, and they haven't really cut anybody. I mean, the whole thing is just, it's a kick the can down the road farce. I mean, you know, and I, it's just, imagine this, and this is what I was posing today. Imagine if, if you really wanted parity in the NFL how about the salary cap is the actual average salary each player is making on his contract? No kicking it down the road. No, you know, sign prorated signing bonuses or anything. If you sign a player at average of 10 million a year, that's the hit. That's your cap hit. And then, you know, so every team is on an equal playing field. But, you know, when you have the Rams up against the cap, Suddenly signing, you know, um, Alan Robinson. I mean, seriously? I mean, you got, you know, teams can keep kicking the can down the road. It's just, uh, and then it, it doesn't seem, it seems like teams are able to wiggle out of it too easily, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't have to really make the sacrifices that you sh- they should be making. Um, and, you know, because put it this way, the way that you can structure contracts now, you can sign anyone you want at any figure. And you can like do what the tech do that the Browns did and you know, sign a guy to a two hundred and thirty million dollar contract fully guaranteed and have year one pay one million. I mean, that's just it it's just makes a mockery of the game and of the whole setup. Because we, time and time again, this setup has proven that and with compensatory picks, which is another joke, um, has just that there are loopholes in the system where the rich can continually get richer and the poor can continually get poor. 
I mean, welcome to America. Welcome right. to America. It is. Where loopholes will allow the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer. Welcome right. to the and United States. <laughs> right. And it's at the heart of American politics, too, because the salary cap is a socialistic idea. Okay. And yes. socialism is not, you just took economic, uh, an economics exam. Socialism is, in many ways, is a good thing. It's not. <laughs> A socialism is let's share the wealth. Socialism is let's have everybody. I mean, for example, my my uh, ex-wife is Swedish. I spent a couple summers in Sweden. That's a socialistic country. I saw v- almost no poverty. I saw people living in modest A-frame houses with IKEA furniture and Volvos in the in the driveways and. <laughs> You know, it's, it's a good way of life. It's not, you can't, you have, you get taxed on anything you save. So it, you have to stimulate the economy by paying whatever you earn. But, you know, it, it keeps the economy going. And, uh, you know, it, it's a com- plus free education, free medicine. You know, you know, all the key things that would encourage a happy life and promote it, you get. I mean, it's free dentistry. Um, you know, all those things. So, yeah, necessities, it, you know, which so the, we the, like to say, yeah. The salary cap <laughs> is a socialistic idea where you're paying 53 men and who gets what slices of the cap, but then enters in the capitalism of dog eat dog, every guy get his grab as much as the pie as you can. And th- so it, it pits the two concepts against each other and i still say you know i mean uh, you know kudos to tom brady for making this financial sacrifices that he made i mean to this day um the only no quarterback has won a super bowl making more than 26.5 million dollars so all these 45 50 million dollar superstars getting paid you know uh, one fifth of the team's salary cap, um, and maybe even more when it's prorated, you know, and kicked down the kick, kick like a can down the road. Um, like Matt Ryan now, his his just kick, kicked in for the forty five or whatever he's making this year. I mean, you know, it, it's where capitalism meets socialism, and and you know, and kudos to Brady because he recognized that. Yeah, I need a team around me. If I'm the one making all the money, we can't put the pieces together to to um, realistically vie for championships. And you know, and, and to some in this business, it's a paycheck. And yeah, it'd be nice to pursue a ring, but that's also extra games, more wear and tear on your body. I mean, there are some players, and I don't blame them to a degree, who rejoice at the end of the season even when they don't make the playoffs. It's just, you know, let's get back into off-season mode, you know, and, and uh, put aside the pain, the physical pain, and and uh, get away from the pressure of the game and all that. I totally get that. But, you know, the teams that really get after it and want to win championships, guys make sac- typically make sacrifices. And Brady's a perfect example of that. And I got to tell you this, people always argue back, well, if you had a supermodel wife like Giselle, of course you'd do that. 
Uh, I can tell you this. I live in five minutes from Gillette Stadium. The vast majority of my friends in Massachusetts are avid Patriots fans. Not one of them has ever said that because they know Brady well enough to know that what, no matter who he is married to, those are the kind of sacrifices he's always been willing to make because his, yeah. his, his eye has always been on the prize and doing whatever it took to get that. I feel like people have stopped making that argument now that they see he's just the ridiculously insane competitor that he is. Right. I think people used to make that argument back when it was 2014 and he only had three championships and now he's 45, won four more titles and still playing. I think people are like, no, nah, he just gave up the money because he's a crazy person who's crazy about winning and gave the Patriots money that they ended up not spending correctly. Um Two things I'll throw at you. One, the salary cap is indeed, it, it, it exists simply as a way to suppress wages. And it was negotiated by Jerry Jones in the 1990s, led by Jerry Jones, not exclusively Jerry Jones. It was in collective bargaining. But Jerry Jones led the push for a salary cap in the 1990s because Jerry Jones was the one who was going to pay $200 million a year for Patrick Mahomes. Like Jerry Jones would pay his, pay his labor a whole lot of money and then he would make less profits, and that would be worse for the long-term financial benefit of the NFL. So they put in a salary cap as a means to suppress wages. First right. priority is making money. Second priority, winning games. Um, what would happen if there wasn't a salary cap? I encourage people to look at what the Dodgers are doing in baseball. Right, exactly. The Dodgers, there's a soft salary cap in baseball, but it's meant to be like they – for years and years, baseball's union was really strong, and they said, no salary cap, no salary cap, no salary cap. And they snuck a competitive balance tax by that is essentially like a salary cap. Um, but the Dodgers just say, to hell with it. We're just going to keep spending way beyond those thresholds. Right. And the Dodgers are actually one of the lowest revenue-earning teams in baseball. The right. Dodgers only make about $80 million a year because everything they make they pour back into the team. Right. Every dollar they make, they just keep pouring it back into the team. And they have giant television contracts, so it makes it easier because they have guaranteed revenue. It's not like, um, name a random team, the Pittsburgh Pirates, where a large portion of their revenue is determined on people showing up to games. Um, so that makes it easier, but they just keep pouring all their money back into the team, which... You'd think that would be fine, but now that NFL teams are designed to work like corporations and shareholder profits are first priority in the NFL, um, all of a sudden money is more important and so they suppress wages. The second part that I'll throw at you, and this is towards the, um, the, the $26 million being the lowest total for a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I think we're getting to a place, I have a hypothesis which is that I think we're getting to a place in the NFL where there have never been this many talented quarterbacks at the same time. And the rules are changing in such a way where like we see the city in the playoffs where it's like 15 second touchdown, 15 second touchdown, 15 second touchdown. Like this, the right. quarterback can single-handedly change the outcome of the game. So I think there's never been more talented quarterbacks and quarterbacks have never been more valuable. Well, maybe not never more valuable, but close to never more valuable given the rules of the NFL that have changed to protect quarterbacks over the past 10 years and promote the product. 
Well, so I think Brady had so a lot a, to do with that. <laughs> Brady they didn't and start Manning changing and, the the quarterback rules until Brady got hurt. Exactly. Interesting how they started kicking in in 2007 after that started. Now you can't again, really even hit a quarterback. It happened again in 2019 when like half of the AFC's quarterbacks got hurt in the first week of the season or the second week of the season. Right. They changed the rules again. Right. And I hypothesized that, you know, there are now 10 franchise quarterbacks when there used to only be like five. Like you, you're old enough to remember when we were debating whether Jay Cutler was a top five quarterback or whether Joe Flacco was a top five quarterback in the NFL. So I think that now we're debating like Matt Stafford is a potential hall of famer and he's barely a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. So I think that we're getting to a place where all of those quarterbacks are going to be making $40 million a year, that that trend is going to be broken. And not that every quarterback is going to, every Super Bowl winning quarterback is going to be making $40 million, but more often than not, a $40 million quarterback is going to win the Super Bowl. And maybe a team that has the great, you know, the hack of the system is like Justin Herbert only makes $7 million this year. Like maybe that's how the Chargers get a competitive advantage. And that's enough to beat, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes making $45 million a year. Like maybe that's how it changes. But I think we're headed towards a place where every quarterback is going to start making more than $40 million and winning the Super Bowl. I did not every single year, but yeah. I think it's going to be pretty much every single year. And the other part is you can re-navigate the salary cap to add a Von Miller or add a uh, Odell Beckham Jr. to be able to still make that kind of money because adding players is going to make your team better. Like adding good players will make your team better. And so I think someone else is going to sacrifice along the way, but it's probably not going to be the quarterbacks. Unless they like restructure deals and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think you're right because of the way teams manipulate the salary cap. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, look at what the Bills are doing right now. How are they? How are they signing all these people? You know, <laughs> I mean, in fairness, Josh Allen's contract hasn't gone into effect yet, but they yeah. they do have all kinds of opportunities so, to sign people. They're going all in, okay? And it's going to catch up with them. Here's what won't happen, though. What won't happen is I don't think we'll ever again see unless they change the the setup and get wise to how, you know, the salary cap is really just a joke and a myth. Um, is um, Is we won't see the sustained success that Brady had um, for years on end. You just won't see it because, you know, if you're paying quarterbacks that much or, and you're playing your star players that much, um, it's just going to be hard to sustain success year after year um, based on injuries. And now there are longer seasons and, you know, take, it's going to take some really good luck to stay healthy enough, some really good depth, which you're sacrificing often if you're paying, you know, it's going to behoove teams to get the absolute most out of their draft picks and to play them early and often and, you know, get four years out of the, out of those guys as best you can 
know, some teams are going to be able to do that. So I agree with you. I think that someone's going to break through eventually. But I, for some reason, my sneaking suspicion, and you'll love this because you're Little Rock from Slam Diego and you're down there right now. My, my sneaking suspicion is Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers are going to win next year. Go all no, the way. No, don't do it. Don't make me. Don't make me sad. Don't make me have to not watch the Super Bowl. Don't make me have to not watch Dean Spanos win the Super Bowl. I can't do it. I, I can't let that happen. I can't <laughs> have that happen. I do love what the Chargers did. Um, I will. I will point to the one thing that you said, which is you're not going to have the sustained success of the Patriots. I don't think it's ever going to look like the Patriots again. The Chiefs yep. can do it. I think the Chiefs can do it because the Chiefs have essentially at the core of the franchise the same thing that the Patriots had, which is the Patriots had the greatest defensive coach in the history of the NFL and one of the five most talented quarterbacks to ever play the game. I know Tom Brady, we say he's not that talented, but Tom Brady got much better as he got older. The Chiefs have, for my money, the greatest offensive coach in the history of the NFL. People can argue Bill Walsh or anyone else if they want. I'm going to go Andy Reid and maybe the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football. I think with that as their base level for the next 10 years, I think they can have a 15-year run of success that looks similar to what the Patriots did. And I could be wrong. Like It could be that Patrick Mahomes is not exponentially better than Josh Allen or exponentially better than Lamar Jackson, or I guess Deshaun Watson. But maybe Patrick Mahomes isn't the exponentially better quarterback that we think he is, and he's just a very, very good quarterback. I just believe that will carry them as the competitive advantage over everyone else, regardless of what Patrick Mahomes is making, or regardless of what, you know, they have to find a new Tyree Kill and a new Travis Kelsey eventually but I think it'll be just enough to carry them for the next 10 years. And I still think the chiefs will win the AFC West next year. As much as the Broncos added Russell Wilson and the chargers made all those moves and the Raiders traded for Devonte Adams. I still believe in Kansas city and Kansas city's ability to run that division for the next 10 years, which would be like a 15 year run of success, similar to that of the Patriots or similar to that of the saints. Yeah, well, you know, the Saints did something similar there, but I I believe the Chiefs can do it. I think we're watching, you know, we said we'd never see the Patriots again. I think we're watching something moderately similar to that. It could be wrong. Like I'm fully acknowledging the Chiefs could finish third in the division next year and they have to retool their entire roster like most teams do. I yeah. just I I believe in them in that way. Like they're that special that they could maybe pull it off. Well, interestingly, you know, James Jones of the NFL Network, former Packers receiver. Yes. Who was on I that. I do remember. The one uh, Super Bowl winning Packers team. I remember him day. as a, uh, I remember him as a Raider at the very end. I think that yes. was the early Derek Carr years. Yes. <laughs> I remember James Jones. I think he was on my fantasy <laughs> team one year in like ninth grade. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday on, um, NFL Network, uh, All Access. Uh, James Jones is picks for the AFC West. Fourth place, Kansas City Chiefs. Third place, um, Oakland Raiders. 
second place uh, Denver Broncos. Oh, no. You know, he had Kansas City fourth, Denver Broncos third, Oakland Raiders second, and he had the Chargers winning it. Don't count out the Chiefs. That's what I will say. Kansas City <laughs> still has the greatest offensive coach in the history of football and, for my money, the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. His and rationale was that they have the weakest defense in the division. That is fair. They, they, As we've seen twice now in the last four years, they just need stability on defense. They can't have the worst defense in the NFL. They... They lost last year in part because of that, although they probably still should have. Well, they should have lost to Buffalo. Anyways, it happened that year, then it happened the year they lost to the Patriots, which was just don't have the worst defense in the league. Right. You can be fine. But I believe. But also, this is the part, in fairness to that, like normally in the cycle of the NFL, this would be when Kansas City starts to fall off. They had four years of success. You lose the Honey Badger. You lose Frank Clark, you know, you have to find players within the margins. Normally, this would be where teams fall off. So I I fully acknowledge, like, if the Chiefs follow the normal cycle of the NFL, they will be a wild card team and they will probably lose in the first or second round. I just believe that they're different. And I could be wrong. It might just be on a hunch. I'm like, I just... I want to believe in Kansas City, I think. I think I want to believe that it's going to be the case. It's irrational, but I want to believe that Kansas City is going to be something similar to what we saw with the Patriots. And Maybe that's because Patrick Mahomes drew me back into football many years ago after the Chargers left and I was down on football. Maybe it's because of that emotional connection to Mahomes. (laughs) I was thinking of that too. Yeah, it I thought, could be. It could have something to do with that. <laughs> I thought so. I was thinking of that. I know you pretty well by now. I knew you. Were, yes, this was if, a knee-jerk old Chargers fan reaction, but um, well, sort of. Here's, so my here, my story is interesting in that way. Just real quick there. So when the Chargers left in 2016, I was kind of down on football for a bit, and then the 2018 Mahomes season was like this is the most fun thing ever. Like watching him do that. I think I had like Tyree Kill on my fantasy team that year. Like I was like really, really into that team because I really, really found like that 54-51 Chiefs-Rams Monday night game and then putting up 40 points a game. I was like, this is incredible. I love football again. So that one year and then doing all the podcasting stuff afterwards, like that kind of made it easier to do analysis stuff but that might be my story there is like i believe in kansas city and want to believe that they're going to be different they might not be but i think i irrationally believe they can do it they can it's going to be difficult but i believe if they can do it this year then i have i have no (laughs) concerns with them being able to run that conference for the next 10 years oh my goodness well that that division is just so loaded now and I'll leave you with this thought because I gotta have to get going. But um, I think that another thing we can attribute in part to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and the, the that previous generation of uh, of great quarterbacks, um, Drew Brees, 
etc. Philip Rivers. Um, Philip Rivers. I need to throw him in there. My childhood idol, Philip Rivers. <laughs> Philip Rivers. But I think Brady in particular, like Tiger Woods, set a bar for young aspiring athletes. Um, and in Tiger Woods' case, young aspiring golfers, not just in the USA, but all around the globe. And I think that Brady has done that for this new wave of quarterbacks. And if you look at the PGA and you know, you know, you and I love to talk golf and we'll get to that um, when it's master's time. But um, if you look at the PGA today, the talent is so widespread. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw the players championship, but, but Cam, um, Cam, Oh, uh, the Cam Smith, Cam Smith, Cameron Smith. Oh, my God. I mean, he's a budding star. I mean, there's so many budding stars. And I, we see that now in the NFL. I mean, just in that AFC West, the four quarterbacks are all, you know, I mean, now you got Russell Wilson in there. You got the young end of the, of the batch. Justin Herbert is, is uh, probably had two of the best opening seasons of a quarterback any, anywhere ever. Um, and then you have, of course, Mahomes, who is setting his own standard. And then, you know, um, cars got cars got the two best weapons, non and Carl and Kelsey. <laughs> right. I mean, so but then you got Joe Burrow. You have you have these young, young bucks coming through. Um, Mark Jackson, uh, third best quarterback in the, yeah, I mean, in I the think AFC still. Quarterbacking, the art of quarterbacking, especially now that teams are willing to play a more open passing game um, than ever before um, has elevated, you know, has inspired a whole group of brand new potential stars. And that's why I don't think, um, you know, unlike Brady, and that's where Tiger Woods, when he started to trail off, you know, um, suddenly now it's, it's hard for anyone on the PGA tour to win you know, um, repeated majors. And I, I think it's going to be the same in the NFL. I think it's going to be hard for, for any, any young quarterback to win multiple Super Bowls. I mean, I, I, you would think that Mahomes would be able to win one or two more, but I don't know. Um, he should have three already. So this is now the part, this is the Tom Brady labyrinth, right? Like he went, 10 plus years without winning a championship in between. So it's entirely possible that the chiefs will look worse, probably still win the AFC West, but they won't be able to make it to super bowls because there'll just be better teams with younger quarterbacks or quarterbacks on rookie contracts or Cleveland, which is going to be unfortunate for everyone, but you're going to see similar types of situations break out in different places. I, I tend to agree with you there. I think if the NFL in a sport which is parody to a certain level, not entire parody, but you know, thirteen different teams made the Super Bowl in fifteen years in the in the NFC. So, you know, to a measure there's parody. I think you I think you're actually gonna see something similar to that happen, which is coming off of what happened in the last generation. Like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, even Peyton Manning to a certain extent, like didn't make as many Super Bowls as we thought they would because there's only so many Super Bowls that people can make. Right. But 
I think that's why I judge things by conference championships more. Like the fact that the Patriots made 15 conference championships in 20 yeah. years is ridiculous. Well, and you that knock on Aaron, that door. Yeah, exactly. Aaron Rodgers made six conference championships in 15 years and should have had seven this year. If they don't get a blocked field goal and blocked punt against the Niners. Like it's incredible how good those people and Drew Brees too. Like the saints had more wins in a four year stretch than any team that didn't make a Super Bowl during these last, you know, 2017 to 2020. They just lost in weird, wacky ways in the playoffs. And I think there's only so many Super Bowls that people can make it to that, you know, sometimes we we lose sight of how great these people are by judging them just on how they make the Super Bowl, which I understand that more just because it's hard to remember everything. Like, it's hard to remember every year of NFL history unless you really love the NFL. So I understand people just look at the Super Bowl as an easy way to remember a season. I just think it does a disservice to the greatness of how good these people are. Because, like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers loses in the conference championship a lot. And Aaron Rodgers also single-handedly carried teams to conference championship games. It's incredible Uh how that's been overlooked in the appreciating the greatness of Aaron Rodgers or appreciating the greatness of Lamar Jackson. Cause I feel like Lamar Jackson gets over scrutinized a lot or, you know, insert another person, I guess Drew Brees too. I guess Drew Brees gets the praise, but Drew Brees, I felt like it's sometimes treated unfairly for only winning one championship and him and Sean Payton get treated unfairly for only winning one championship. Yeah. You know, I think you're right that we are headed to a place where, Josh Allen's going to get one. Lamar's going to play for one. Maybe Arizona gets one. Maybe the Rams get another one. I don't know. Like, I think that might be headed towards that place where there is, there are so many talented players. And again, the NFL often comes down to coin tosses and inches. So in that way, like it's, it's, if everyone has great play or if half the teams have great players, then more teams are going to be closer to each other and you're going to have more evenly matched playoffs. Like we've had the last, well, not last, not 2020, 2019 and 2021 have been super evenly matched playoffs. 2020 was more chiefs dominating everyone and everyone else fall by the wayside. But yeah, I think you're going to see, I, I think you're going to be correct with the parody side of it. If the chiefs can win 14 AFC West titles in 15 years. I feel like that's enough to that's enough for me to put them in that dominating the NFL camp, even if they don't win a championship every year. Well, thank you for having me on. And I, as always, really enjoyed it and uh, enjoy your stay at home in San Diego. And uh, man, have a fun week. Um, You're going to the beach. I will go to the beach one time. It's uh, it's that sort of that type of weather. It's like seventy-one degrees, and it's a uh, it's a little walk to the beach. But I can I can walk to the beach. It's about forty-five minutes, but or to an hour. But I can technically walk to a beach. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. I I definitely uh, <laughs> envy you being able to do that, and uh, you know, enjoy your time there. You deserve it. Absolutely. It's uh, much appreciated. I'm going to enjoy the next few days off and uh, I will talk to you on Wednesday. Sounds great, pal. Have a great one. All righty. Thanks again, Walter. I appreciate it. Anytime. Go Little Rock. All right. <laughs> Go.
Go Little Rock. I like that. That's it. <laughs>